what is it that happened at Kadesh? What happened at Meribah that had such an effect on this story? So after Sinai, for 40 years, they've been wandering. Israel had been to Kadesh before. They'd, they'd messed up before, and they'd been sentenced to wander in the desert before. And, and all of the people, 40 years in age, had passed away. And so now they're... Their children and their grandchildren were the new generation. And God was saying, okay, it's time. Let's go back here. Let's go into the promised land. And they go back through Kadesh Barnea again with this new generation. And in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 13, we read this story. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died, and she was buried. That was Moses' sister. Now, there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, and they quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring us, uh, the Lord's community, into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? There is no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Now, evidently, for the past 40 years, that they've been wandering in this wilderness area, there had been sufficient water. You know, it's interesting to me, too. This is just an aside. But we talk about the 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. We read about the first two years, and we read about the last year. And there's 37 years of that that went on that we have no information about. So we're, we're moving to that, that back period here, but now we're on year 40. And these people are complaining about the fact that there's not water, and these people are complaining about Moses, and these people are wanting to go back to Egypt. Some of them had never been to Egypt. Probably most of them hadn't, but their parents had told them about that. And so they're evidently repeating the line that they'd heard from their parents, who were known for their whining and their complaining and their negativity. And so they come to Moses and they complain against Moses and said, why did you bring us here? Well, who brought them there? It wasn't Moses, it was God. And Moses could have just deflected that, but instead Moses took that on himself. But anyhow, the story goes on there. In verse number six, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff. You and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they, their livestock can drink. And if that sounds familiar, it's reminiscent of a story that had taken place pretty much 40 years before in Exodus chapter, um, Exodus chapter 17, when the children of Israel had been out in the, in the area uh, of coming out of past the Red Sea, and they didn't have water, and God said, strike the rock, and Moses struck the rock, and, and God brought water. So this is, this is like a second version of, of almost a similar miracle that took place 40 years earlier. And so he says, speak to the rock. In the first miracle, they had struck the rock. But Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, verse number 9, just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Let me read that again. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? This is a man who is frustrated. This is a man who is unhappy with the people who are following him. And this is a man who has gone through an extreme. 
And this is a man who says something he never should have said here because he thought something he never should have thought. He said, should we bring you water? Moses had no ability whatsoever, and Aaron had no ability whatsoever to bring water out of this rock. And maybe the we is referring to Moses and God, but, you know, little uh, memo to Moses. God didn't really need Moses in that moment. God was completely able to do that, but he calls them rebels. He pronounces his own judgment on them, and he makes it about himself, and he says that he would bring water out of the rock. So Moses raised his arm, and he struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank, and he strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock as he was instructed. Why? My guess is because he was frustrated. Okay, you're here, you know, 40 years ago I had to listen to your parents complain, and now you guys are here doing the exact same thing, okay? Let me just teach you something. Boom. And maybe he did it out of that anger, out of display of power perhaps. Let me show you what I can do. But the Lord said... To Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into land I give them. Oh, our choices have consequences, don't they? Because you didn't trust me enough to speak to this rock, instead because you struck this rock, you're not going into the promised land. And that's why Nebo becomes a reality and a necessity. And to finish up, so those were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. And Moses blows it, he misses out on an opportunity. And he would not be entering the promised land. So you know, it's interesting in that story where Moses strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock, we see something crop up in the character of Moses. Because if you go all the way back, even before he went into Egypt, Exodus chapter 2, Moses knows that he's going to be the deliverer, and he goes out, and there's an Egyptian and an Israelite fighting. And Moses takes things into his own hands, and he asserts himself. And he kills the Egyptian there. And it's where he relies on his own power, where he uh, relies on his own self-assurance. And where he becomes the hero in the story, and once again he does that. And even 40 years later, even Moses, we see with him some of that stuff from the past, some of that junk from the past coming back up. But Moses strikes the rock, and God penalizes him. Why? Because he stole glory from God, because he said, hey, look at me. And God says, no, 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 no. Look at me. And Moses, since you took the honor and the glory away from me, and put people's eyes on yourself, you're not going into this land. Some people say that in his striking the rock, Moses represented law. When even though God had given the law, God is always a God of grace, and, and, and the law is about what we can do. We're speaking to the rock would have been about what God does, but Moses resorts to his own plan. And so, this is why God's telling Moses, go up Nebo. Because way, you know, it wasn't way back then, it was just a, you know, a few months ago, a few miles ago, Moses had acted in self-assurance. And so we get to Deuteronomy chapter 34, and now we actually have the ascent. God said, you've got to go up Nebo, he gives us the instructions. We get the backstory. here's the actual ascent. Verse number one, Moses, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34, 
Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, which was the peak. Across from Jericho, there the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. And some people speculate here that God actually gave him like vision beyond what was humanly possible. Because from that mountain, he wasn't going to see all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, but maybe God gave him the vision to see everything that was laid out there in front of him. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moses, as the Lord had said, and God buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. To this day, nobody knows where his grave is. And isn't that interesting? God gave him an unmarked grave. This guy who's on Nebo, and part of the reason he's on Nebo is because of his self-assurance and his self-important. God says, you know, we're not even going to tell people where you're buried. And he gives him an unmarked grave, and it says this, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Moses was 120 when he died, but he did not die of old age. In fact, he just climbed a 2,680-foot mountain, seemingly with ease. For all of you on your Fitbits, that's like 250 flights of stairs. He didn't get old. It's just that his job was over, and it was time to hand things off to the next generation because he wouldn't be going into that promised land. Now let's finish reading out the passage here. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the baton passes off to Joshua. He'll lead them into the promised land. And it says the Israelites listened to him, Joshua, and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. And then we get the eulogy of Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen like in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And so we get to Mount Nebo, and, and Moses climbs it, and he stands there, and there's no plaque in front of him. And yet he looks out over the lands and he sees these different places where the children of Israel are going to settle and where they're going to set up their homesteads and where this nation is going to grow out of the soil here. And he looks over these lands and God shows him all these things. But I wonder exactly what he saw. And that's what I want to just give us a few minutes here this morning to think about what Moses may have seen and what God may have shown him Obviously, just the land that was in front of him. But as he stood there in the last moments of his life, what is it that he saw? And I wonder if maybe God said to Moses, hey, Moses, look back. Look back for a minute. And maybe Moses looked back and he saw all the way back there to, to Egypt. And maybe Moses saw the, the, the um, running from Egypt and, and, and saw that burning bush out there in Horeb and and maybe Moses saw going back to Pharaoh and all the contests with, with the plagues there. And, and maybe Moses looked back and he saw the Red Sea and he, and he saw Sinai. But he looked back and he saw the faithfulness of God. 
And that's an encouragement for us in our lives to be continually looking back, not to go back, but to look back to see the faithfulness of God in our lives. And some of us are, are older, some of us are younger, but for all of us, we need that encouragement to say, where have you seen God's goodness in your life? And I wonder if, if Moses stood there and Nebo and looked back, it's like, wow, look at all these places Look at all these things. Look at all these miracles. Look at all these memories of God's faithfulness in my life. Where have you seen God's goodness and greatness in your life? Because that should be a regular part of our worship. And we started there even this morning in our service. What has God done for you? Maybe God said to Moses, hey, look behind you. And we're talking figuratively here, but, but maybe if Moses looked behind him, he could have seen all those Israelites who had followed him for 40 years. And, and now they were, you know, they were down at the base of the mountain there. They hadn't followed him up the mountain. But he looked behind him and he saw all the people that had been following him. And it's a reminder to us that there are always people following us. Always. You know, as parents, there's kids following us. As grandparents, there's grandkids that are following us. As teachers, there are kids following us. Or maybe as youth leaders, there are kids following us. But, but we also go off to work, and there's coworkers who are following us. And, and maybe there's other family members who are following us. But there are always people who are coming behind us. And Moses had what I would call a legacy face. See, Moses was going to pass off the scene, but Joshua was 100% ready and willing and able to step into the role that Moses had been, had been playing there. But it's a reminder to us that it's supposed to be a succession of faith, that there's always a generation coming after us, and it's that generation where we need to give attention, but it's that generation that we need to be helping and encouraging and, and showing the ropes to and mentoring and walking with and, and actually even sometimes giving deference to and preference to. See, the goal is to pass down faith to the next generation. The goal is to pass down even leadership to the next generation. And so it's the example that we set, but it's the priority that we make it there. As we prepare for the Nebos in our life, that someday we can stand there and say, okay, these are the people that God gave me in my life. I've done my best to help them follow in right footsteps. And so maybe Moses stood there and God said, hey, look back. Then maybe God said, hey, look down. And maybe as he looked down, he could kind of look over there and it would have been a little bit to his south and a little bit to his west. And maybe he could see Kadesh, the place where the Israelites hadn't failed once, but they'd actually failed twice. One time they turned back in doubt and one time they turned back in discontent. And maybe he could see that place and it was a time of testing and stumbling in his life, and even for him personally. But maybe he was reminded, and maybe we can be reminded too, of, of the detriment and the harm that's done by negativity, that's done by complaining, that's done by discontent, that's done by doubt. And I think as we grow older, sometimes there's a tendency for cynicism to, to creep in or, or for, for negativity to creep in. And this was something that defined this, these Israelite people. They were 
horrible complainers. They're horrible whiners. And the sad part about this story is, is the next generation's doing it too. And maybe Moses looks down there and is like, oh, I wish they weren't like that. And maybe God looks down at us and says, hey, how much negativity, how much complaining, how much whining is part of your story? Because it shouldn't be there. That's certainly not what we want to take up Nebo someday. And maybe God said to Moses, hey, look at yourself. And maybe Moses stood there and looked at himself and saw a very flawed leader. We got the eulogy where he was the greatest ever, but Moses had some issues along the way. Some would even argue how successful was he. He didn't get them into the promised land. He at least got them out of Egypt. But all along the way, there have been all kinds of crises, and some had gone well, and some had not gone well. He'd taken some shots along the way, and even, you know, there at the end, there were some personal things that were fired at him. And he didn't respond in the rest way, especially there at the rock. He responded in frustration. And he had made it personal. I suppose that his journey had been a lonely journey, too. I mean, Moses had Aaron, but Aaron wasn't always a help. Sometimes like, oh gosh, it's Aaron again. He made it about himself on more than one occasion, thought he was something, made it, you know, he was the hero of the story, tried to be the celebrity, and leadership's not about celebrity, and just a good reminder to us, isn't it, that we're all flawed. And sometimes we need to look at those flaws, and sometimes we think we've put them into to rest and put them to bed, and they're all in the past, and they have a way of, of rearing their heads again, and just say, no, I don't want to go there. But the good news is that even in all of his flaws, and maybe Moses stood there, and as he stood on Nebo, he was reminded of one flaw that was responsible for him being there. God's like, but I still used you, Moses. And for our, us, even in all of our flaws, we can be encouraged by the fact that God doesn't need perfect people. He just needs willing people. And even if we're not all that we should be. God's trying to make us that person, but God can take us and he, God can use us too. Most of the time, to Moses' credit, he got it right. But maybe in your life, it's just, it's just that moment to say, okay, I'm not perfect, but how can I overcome that? How can I work in those areas? But how can you use me? Let me just be willing. Let me just be available. Maybe God said to Moses, hey, look out. And he looked out over that land and he saw what? He saw an incredible future. It wasn't going to be his future, but it was going to be the future of all those people that he'd basically given his life for to lead them. And sometimes I think we can go back and we can look back and we should look back to be grateful and to be reminded of God's faithfulness, but we don't need to look back so that we can long for the days that are gone. We don't need to long for Egypt, and we don't even need to long for, for the time when the, there's been water, and, and we don't need to long for Sinai, and for any of those moments, because God's about the future. And so I would say that to all of us, let's not get fixated on the past. What's in the future for you? Regardless of where your station is in life, there is still a future and even if there's not a you know, future that's a long future for some of us, there's still something there, and there are still people coming behind. And we can look at the future. I think of that even as a church. 
from a church, we, we hand off the church from generation to generation to generation. The church has been along, around as long as Waterford, what, 153 years now? It's been handed off a lot of times. Back a, a few, uh, maybe a month or so ago, I did a funeral. And, and maybe this name will, will ring a bell with, with some of you. It was, the, um, it was the last of seven children. He was 94, I believe. It was the last of seven children. But his father's name was Edwin Dubois. And Edwin Dubois, I believe, and I may have this wrong, was one of the associate pastors at Waterford Community Church back maybe in the 40s. And so we went out to the cemetery. It's up here at, at Ottawa Park. And I remember just standing there at the cemetery, and, and he was going to, he never married. He was going to be buried with his mother and father. And I saw the, the headstone there of Edwin Dubois, who was 70 years, I don't know, one of the pastors of this church. And I was like, just thinking, I wonder if he had any idea that 70 years removed or whatever, this church would still be going strong, and this church would still be about Jesus, and this church would still be about loving their community, and this church would still be about the Bible and about doing what's right and making a difference in the world. Because that's what the future is. And, you know, hopefully 70 years from now, this, this place is still here. Hopefully it's expanded and, and more and more people are, are being reached. But it's about the future, and we can look forward to that. And so we all stand here and say, how do we keep handing ministry? How do we keep handing responsibility? How do we keep handing leadership off to the next generation? And if you're in the younger generation this morning, it's like, what can I learn from these people who have gone before me? And make that a part of my story as well. What does God have next for you? For this church? For your family? I don't know. And then I wonder if maybe God said to Moses, hey, Moses, Okay, you've looked back, you've, you've looked ahead, you've looked down, you've looked around, you've looked behind. Look up. And Moses looked up, and I think maybe he discovered that even in his penalty, even in the consequences of his sin and his wrongdoing, that God was merciful. Because God said, hey, look what you have next. The promised land, I know you wanted to go there, but you know, when they go into that promised land, there's going to be a lot of battles. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I got something better for you. I got a land where there's just rest, where it's just good, where it's just me. And Moses got something better without all of the downside. And it's a reminder to all of us that that's what we're looking for. And we can look forward to the future here on, on planet Earth, and that's good. And we can look forward to, look forward to the future as our church here, and that's good. But we really ultimately look forward to a future with God in heaven someday to spend eternity with him. And so we found a better place. The people waited down in the valley, but Moses never came down. So what did they do? Well, Deuteronomy 34.9 says they just did what Moses had commanded and as Joshua led them. But I don't think we have to climb Mount Nebo quite yet. I think we can just look at Nebo, and we can look at Moses who climbed Nebo, and we can learn from his story. And we can live a life that looks back and celebrates God's goodness. It celebrates God's faithfulness. We can live a life where we focus on those who are coming behind us, where we realize that we have impact on people, whether we want to or not, and where we can just... Take advantage 
of that opportunity and live a legacy faith. We can be reminded of the harm of negativity and say, we're not going there. Where we can be reminded of our flaws, but also be reminded of a God who uses us in spite of our flaws. Isn't that good news? Where we can look at the next generation, where we can do what we can to empower them, or where we can be the next generation and say, we're going to step into our roles here and be all that God wants us to be. And where we can just simply anticipate heaven. That's pretty good, isn't it? I love what it says there in Deuteronomy 34, 9. Let me finish with this. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hand on him. And so all the Israelites still were waiting their Nebo. All the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord commanded Moses. That's what I want to be my legacy. He did what God said. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story of Moses. Incredible man with incredible weaknesses and messed up along the way quite a few times. And so you used him. In fact, you used him and you were close to him so much that you spoke to him face to face. God, I want that to be true for me. I want that to be true for everybody in this room, that we have that kind of experience and moment with God, with you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. So we think about Nebo this morning, sobering, yet encouraging at the same time. But the first question is, are you ready someday to meet God? Have you found forgiveness for your sins through Jesus Christ? We sang a great song, yet not I, but through Christ. Have you trusted Jesus Christ, invited him personally into your life? You can do that where you sit this morning. That's the most important step you can take in preparing for your Mount Nebo. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But maybe you're prepared in that way, but are you prepared in other ways? Are you focused on the goodness of God in your life or your are you focused on the people that come after you? Are, you? are you focused on the future and how you can make a difference in that future? That's the challenge this morning. What, what commitment will you make to God as you say? Dear God, we commit ourselves to you. We pray that we would be like Moses. But we also pray that we would be like Joshua and the people that came after Moses, that we would commit to following you faithfully, and that that would be our legacy. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me?